Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and join me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, and Neil Trainers, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Arthur and Helena are sitting this one out. Later in the pod, we have another update from Pharmacist Support about its Act Now campaign, and we have some build-up to the Independent Pharmacy Awards, which take place uh, well, today, actually, if you're listening on a Friday, but we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, but before all that, let's do Good Week, Bad Week. Neil, let's start with you. Good Week, Bad Week, uh, and for whom? It's been a good week for Thorin Govind, again, um, the chair of the English Pharmacy Board. She's uh, getting stuck into all kinds of issues, and so she should. She's um, taken on the role with... Um, Great enthusiasm. It's a good week this week for her because she and the Royal Pharmaceutical Society met with representatives from the Royal College of General Practitioners uh, recently to discuss, well, how pharmacists and general practice and and the rest of primary care can work together in the coming years. And we know just how important that will be uh, with what's around the corner with the Health and Care Bill. Um, Now, the, uh, the talks, we're told, the talks largely focused on the community pharmacist consultation service and why it's not been quite as successful as it might have been thus far. Uh, we will know concerns around pharmacists in England not receiving great numbers of CPCS referrals from gen- uh, from general practice, from surgeries. We don't uh, various reasons for that, perhaps. Um, and it seems that it's not been addressed uh, so far. So that these talks, we're told, were largely geared to, to that, towards that, and finding out the reasons behind that and coming up with solutions. We'd, there's a bit of a lack of detail. We're not exactly told what solutions uh, we were. Kind of, we were told vaguely what the solutions are, but we have to wait to see how this how this works out in practice. Um, uh, the, the two bodies discussed ways in, in in which the referrals can be streamlined, how patients' experience of the service could be improved. But again, more detail around that would be nice, and and how awareness of the of the service can be generated right across the health spectrum, um, and whether national support for its implementation can be. Um, secured. I, I was uh, all in all. Um, this is great stuff. We know that, but I, I was a little bit disappointed. However, just with a, uh, as I say, not just a lack of um, a bit more meat around the bones on on this, but also just a little bit disappointed with the general lack of detail from the talks. Uh, you know, in, in a wider sense, really, because you know, we asked, we did ask um, the RPS and the, and the RCGP whether the um, issue of say competitive tensions between general practice and pharmacists came up during these talks, and whether and whether that can be, you know, addressed or, or in some way. Because we all know we all know what happened with the flu jabs and some GPs' attitudes towards pharmacies providing them. Um, and with the health and care bill making its way through Parliament, you would hope that all GPs would be putting self interests to one side uh, and not allowing competitive tensions to manifest themselves in other ways. Um, with these new structures. So uh, it, it, we weren't told whether or not this came up in the discussions. Perhaps it's something more for the General Medical Council rather than the RCGP. I don't know. Um, also, we asked the both bodies whether or not the issue of pharmacists being recruited into general practice came up. Uh, of course, only last month, Keith Ridge, the outgoing Chief Pharmaceutical Officer, said that the recruitment of, I think it was 3,000 uh, pharmacists into general practice was causing uh, workforce issues within community pharmacy. So it would have been nice to know whether these, these other, and, you know, other issues that I haven't mentioned, um, 
came up in these discussions, I'm sure would have been more than just the CPCS that was, that was discussed, one would, would hope so. It just seemed to be a lack of um, um, a detail, I, I thought. You, you, you got the sense that there was more to it than, 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 than what emerged. Uh, but nevertheless, um, you can't fault Thorin and, and the RPS. They met with the RCGP. This is all positive stuff. And, uh, and that's why a particularly good week for her. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Um, yeah, not not a lot of detail as you as you said. Um, I mean, I think this was something I think Thorin said she wanted to do. Um, I think she said on the podcast interview that we did that she wanted to reach out to you know to other professional bodies. So maybe this is this is part of that. Um, yeah, but but not much detail. Rob, you've been involved with with these sorts of summits before. I mean, are they important? Do, do they matter? Not sure. I'll call anything I did was a summit, but yeah, I see what you mean. Um, was this an official uh, statement from the two bodies, Neil, that came out? Well, it was. Yeah, the the well, the RPS released a statement uh, giving us a rough kind of um, background to what was discussed. Uh, as I say, not not much more than the CPCS. That was what seemed to largely revolve around, and the, and the RCGP. There was also. Uh, uh, a, a bit of comment from from their side, um, and as you say, Richard, you know, Thorin did mention uh, weeks before. I mean, we inter- I interviewed her um, a few weeks ago, and she did say at that point, you know, that uh, she was uh, she she was very determined to, to to talk not just to the RCGP but all all Royal uh, Colleges. And um, I don't know how far she's got with the other Royal Colleges, but certainly um, this came as no surprise to me, and no surprise to yourself as well. It, it, this was something that was in the pipeline for for quite a few weeks. Oh, okay, then. So, um, well, first of all, I think I think talking is always good, uh, and um, you know, there's a couple of things in the in the statement that uh, struck me as being you know relatively interesting. I think I think um, I think the idea that they talked about national support for implementation, I think, so was a good thing. I mean, people have heard me whinging on about uh, about that and never ever asking for any money to to get major changes done is is always been something that's uh, frustrated me considerably so i think having a discussion about um getting money to support implementation which involves two professional groups uh always quite important and as we know um to our sometimes cost gps are really good at getting money for things when they when they're desperately keen to do that so i think that's all good um, I'm not surprised that uh, flu jabs don't feature in the statement, even if they talked about it. I mean, if you're if you're opening a new channel of communication, this feels like a new initiative. So fair play to Thorin for for getting this off the ground and having having a, a conversation. Um, I'm not sure it's particularly helpful to go in with the negatives. I mean, how many times have we said that you know interactions between community pharmacists and general practitioners? always seem to start with a negative or somebody doing something wrong. So I think, you know, if they did discuss it, fine. If they didn't discuss it, I think that's also fine because, you know, you want to build a relationship and you want to be able to talk to each other across the table without starting with things that you might be might be bothered, bothered by. Um, and the last thing I would say, and I'm going to say it again a bit later on in the context of something else, is that I think it's also helpful or might be helpful going forward not to get a kind of blow by blow of these discussions because then people pick over it and they read things into it that maybe aren't there. And so if there are channels of communications open between um, pharmacy 
around community pharmacy uh, issues, that's great and that can only be helpful. And certainly the statement from uh, the RCGP chair, uh, Professor Ma- Martin Marshall, was you know positive and and certainly talking up um, uh, an enthusiasm, keen to work with the RPS to ensure the CPCS in particular is a success. So I think that's a really good start. And um, the fact that we are commenting on this as a as a as a bit of a novel thing is in and of itself noteworthy in some respects, isn't it? Thanks, Rob. Yeah, that's a that's a really really interesting insight into the. Uh, the optics, I suppose, uh, that go into to these kind of things, or even the, the you know the tactical approach from both parties. But you know, uh, but it, uh, as Neil said, it, it, I think it's a it's a positive thing. Um, it's good that the bodies are talking, and yeah, I would definitely agree. Good week for for Thorin, um and the RPS English Pharmacy Board. Um, right. Let's move on. Um, there is a little bit of background noise, I think, on uh, on Neil's line. It's obviously a busy day uh, in the editorial office today, so uh, apologies for that. We'd like to take a second out of this week's podcast to tell you about an important learning opportunity. You should be aware that the daily oral contraceptive pill is now available as pharmacy-only medicine. Find out what you need to know to be able to support your customers with our latest e-module. Simply go to pharmacy magazine forward slash Lavima to find out more. Let's move on. Rob, let's go to you then. A good week or a bad week? Uh, I I don't know, Richard. Uh, I'll let you be the judge of that. So what, I, what I'd like to talk about is uh, news reached us. What is it, news? Oh, I'll come back to that as well. Of a new working group. The Community Pharmacy Supervision Practice Group, uh, which aims to determine the most appropriate way to optimise patient safety by making pharmacies more accessible, maximising the skills of pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, the wider team, and enabling the deployment of modern technologies and new models of service delivery. So we're in supervision territory here, uh, that knotty subject. Um Though this was originally announced, I think, back in May. So is it good news for now or is it good news for back in May? But uh, what is good news is the inclusion within this group now. Um, back in May, it was the three uh, trade bodies, the CCA, the NPA and AIM. Uh, so good news, inclusion of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, uh, the Pharmacy Forum of Northern Ireland, APT UK, the technicians um, uh, professional body, um, the Pharmacist Defence Association, uh, and with observer status for the General Pharmaceutical Council, Pharmaceutical Society of Northern Ireland, and so the regulators and the Department of Health and Social Care. So um, that's good that the good that they're talking about this again. Uh, good that um, the there's a wide range of groups involved, uh, and particularly good I think that this is a, a pharmacy initiative. So. Um, Listeners will recall that this is a subject with a chequered history and it's really great to see pharmacy taking the initiative on this for once. Now, as everybody knows, this is a long-standing issue. Uh, case law stretch, stretches back over decades. There is no definition of what supervision is. I think if you had 100 pharmacists in a room and you asked them to define it, you get 100 different definitions. The legal paragraph... Um, that word appears in dates back to the 1960s and that replaced earlier similarly vague statements going back 
to the 1950s and probably beyond that. Um, now, whether it's the 60s, the 50s, the world was a very, very different place in either of those time frames. Medicine's preparation particularly was extremely difficult to what it is now. So creakiness of the legislation, the way it's been interpreted and reinterpreted, um, my learned friends have got involved at various points and had their four pennyworth, which has in some cases helped and in some cases not helped, um, has meant that replacing the term or at least scoping out a definition that everybody can kind of agree or an interpretation that's fit for the 21st century has been seen as quite important for a long time. So I wish the group very well. Uh, and what I do know is I'm sure that they're not going to find this very easy because if it was easy to replace a 50 year plus old definition, it would have been done by now. Um, and uh, so I'll say what I said I, would, I was going to say again right now. I don't think it would be particularly helpful at this stage to get uh, every time this group meets to have a progress update, particularly unless there's something significant that has been decided or agreed or a direction of travel that appears to be significant. Because this whole area and the discussions that have preceded it, um, notably four or five years ago when the uh, when there was an initiative um, kicked off by the four um, chief pharmaceutical officers across the UK um, in the, uh, I think it was called the rebalancing board. Um, previous discussions have been not helped by innuendo, whispers, misrepresentation of some of the conversations, some of which I reckon was deliberate, some of which I think was due to misunderstandings of very, very complex arguments. And particularly when you get lawyers around the table talking about how you would take a concept or an argument or a or a, a way of thinking about a particular set of processes and you try and in, try and frame a legal uh, a legal position around that, that that might stand up in a court of law later um, does make some of those uh, discussions incredibly complicated um, and the other thing that I think has always been important about this issue is it does get to the heart of what it is to be a professional um, in the supply chain uh, where medicines are concerned, let's not forget the Medicines Act replaced uh, legislation going back centuries, um, which was which were the poison acts um, going way back. So, you know, we, we say often enough as pharmacists, medicines are not ordinary items of commerce. That's why there are particular ways, uh, there are particular legislative provisions around their, their, their supply. So... So I don't think it would necessarily be appropriate if this group did not give a running commentary, but does its work, comes to some conclusions, and then obviously puts some conclusions out for wider discussion uh, across the across the pharmacy, across uh, the professions themselves, because as I say, it, this gets to the very heart of how pharmacists, how we're all trained, and what we believe about medicines and the importance of um, safe supply and keeping keeping patients and the public safe when doing that. So I wish the group uh, well. Um, I think it's a kind of an about time in a way week, uh, but I think um, very positive and particularly to have what seems to me to be pretty much all the right people around the table to discuss this. Yeah, thanks for that, Rob. My word, supervision. Let's uh, let's all strap ourselves in. Um, I think. The important thing there that to me, and you highlighted this, Rob, is that this is this is um, a pharmacy 
initiative. So it's it really is a cross sector approach. I think that they're taking, looking at the makeup of, of, of that group, and I think that that's essential. You know, there has to be a broad consensus if we're going to find a way forward together on this. And it's not easy, Rob, as you said, it, it's it's really complicated. But, you know, the, I think most people within the sector would agree that the rules on supervision do need to be updated. As you say, they're, they're kind of grounded in the like historic past. Um, and I suppose if the aim of all of this is to make pharmacists more available to the public, in a community pharmacy, um, then absolutely we need to we need to modernise the regulations that underpin patient safety and allow pharmacist availability um, as much as possible. So, will we get agreement? Well, yes, I I hope we will because I think it's needed, uh, and I, I I agree with you, Rob. Actually, I think we could do with just letting this group do its work. Um, and arrive at a position without leaks or without vested interest trying to take hold of the agenda. This is this is too important. It went wrong last time because um, all kinds of leaks were coming out, and there were all kinds of misunderstandings. Some deliberate, some not. You didn't you did mention that, Rob. So let this group do its work. It seems to me to be properly constituted, and hopefully we can move forward without the controversy that was raised the last time that we discussed this issue. If pharmacists have got confidence in this group, um, then I think we can make progress. So let's let them get on with their work and let's see what they come up with. So as listeners to the pod will know, we are supporting Pharmacist Support Act Now wellbeing campaign, which is running throughout the month. Each week, the campaign focuses on one of the five ways to well-being, and the theme for the coming week is Take Notice. And here's how you can get involved. Hi everyone, it's Kate Westbrook here, Marketing Communications Manager at the Professions Charity Pharmacist Support, with your weekly Act Now catch-up. Tomorrow marks the start of week three of our Act Now wellbeing campaign. The theme this week is Take Notice, when we'll be focusing on how taking notice of the good things, even in difficult times, can take you away from past worries and concerns and anxiety about the future. How it allows you to enjoy the present, to live in the moment and appreciate the simple things around you. The human brain is naturally programmed to focus on the negative aspects of life before recognising the positives. However, it is possible to retrain your brain to form healthier thought processes. And across the week, we'll be sharing resources to help you address this and also to keep you mentally fit and healthy. We'll also be discussing the science behind wellbeing practice in our weekly wellbeing chat with the charity's resident wellbeing expert and panel guests. So don't miss out. It's not too late to sign up and receive free wellbeing resources direct to your inbox for you and your team with links to our weekly wellbeing panel chats, new wellbeing learning platform and details on how you can get involved as a volunteer too. Visit pharmacistsupport.org to find out more. Kate Westbrook there. As Kate said, all the details for the Act Now campaign are on pharmacistsupport.org or you can click in the link uh, in the show notes for this pod. Right, we just have time for a, a quick any other business. And I have something this week and I've been reading an excellent book by the, the Times journalist Billy Kember. 
and it's called The Truth About the Global Pharmaceutical Industry. It looks at big pharma's response to the pandemic and its role in the, the COVID vaccination programme. Now, it's a, it's a gripping account, really is. And of course, the development of COVID, va- uh, COVID vaccines from, uh, from labs to jabs in less than a year, and thanks to the author himself for that one. You know, this has been one of the great scientific successes of our lifetime, hasn't it? But the central premise of the book is that right at the beginning of the pandemic, when its full seriousness was was still being realised, Big Pharma was nowhere to be seen. And it was public money that initially funded, and indeed still funds to some extent, these vital vaccine projects. And it was public money that kick-started the vaccination effort with amazing speed. But now pharmaceutical companies stand to hoover up the profits. And what profits? Pfizer is on course to make $40 billion this year uh, from its COVID vaccine sales. That's equivalent to the, the company's total revenue last year. And Moderna, which is a, a US company uh, that had never even bought a product to market before, is now worth a, a staggering $180 billion. And the development of its vaccine was partly funded by the US government. And even our own very altruistic AstraZeneca, which has been selling its vaccine at cost, will start selling it uh, at a, for a profit in the, in the near future. Oh, and the price of these vaccines is beginning to creep up too. So you know, it sounds like the book is setting out to knock the pharmaceutical industry, and it is critical in many respects, but it actually, I thought, painted a much more complicated and, and nuanced picture about drug development. Uh, It's easy to forget, I think, that before COVID, companies weren't really interested in vaccines and and immunisation. They probably saw them as a a bit of a distraction from the far more lucrative business of developing drugs for cancer, diabetes, asthma and other long-term chronic conditions of the developed world. I think there were only four vaccines that had major vaccine, uh, four companies, sorry, that had major vaccine divisions pre-COVID. And interestingly, of those four, it was just Pfizer that went on to produce a a successful COVID vaccine. And vaccines still make up a a tiny proportion of the global drugs market. But the serious point that Billy Kemba makes uh, is that Big Pharma was and still is reluctant to take those huge financial risks of committing resources to fighting these so-called disease X pathogens like covid that can emerge out of nowhere and uh, and cause so much damage. And when they do emerge, and they will, uh, it is governments and us as taxpayers who will de-risk the process through massive public investment when the next crisis comes around. Uh, so there's no incentive for the farmer industry to kind of go down this path. So a really interesting book. I mean, lots more in, in it about sales of vaccines to the developing world, etc. It's a very interesting uh, read. I've not got time to talk about it all now. And I think I'll leave you, our listeners, to decide the uh, the rights and wrongs of all of this. Um, but as an insight into the way that Big Pharma operates and, and, and seen through the crucible of COVID, it's a fantastic read. It's called The Truth About the Global Pharmaceutical Industry. It's by Billy Kemba, and it's published this week. Um, that was a good read. Rob, have you kind of come across this yet? No, I haven't, Richard, but I'm going to look it up. But I was going to just add to that. I think it's a really interesting subject. And as you say, um, you know, behind a lot of these amazing success stories is um, 
see investment money from uh, from essentially from taxpayers put in by governments. But on the same on the same um, tack uh, to get people into this story, if they're interested, and obviously people listening to this podcast are interested in podcasts. I listened to something this week on exactly the same subject. So there is a new uh, news organisation that some uh, listeners might have come across called Tortoise, which is um, an independent uh, uh, organisation which puts out a podcast called Slow News in which they research subject in debt. In debt. Last Thursday's Slow News podcast was called Pfizer's War. Um and it covers a lot of the same ground, I have to say. Or it sounds like it covers a lot of the, uh, the same ground as Mr. Kemba's book in a in a, a um, handy thirty nine minute listen. So it's not a it's not a short sharp. It's a uh, the way that this organisation works is to is to research stories over over a little bit of time and, and uh, enables them to go into into things in some depth. And one of the things that I that uh, is in the middle of this podcast, particularly looking at, obviously at Pfizer's uh, approach to vaccinations, is uh, some really interesting stuff about how how the stories of um, problems with AstraZeneca's vaccine um, went around the world and where where some of that started. Very very interesting um, about how uh, the old pharmaceutical company here and there is is not averse to doing a little bit of um, dissing the competition uh, when they uh, when they when they want to and when it's in their their interest to do so. So uh, if people are interested in this whole area, then um, I'd, I'd recommend slow news from Tortoise available from the usual podcast outlets. Oh, thanks for that, Rob. I, I wasn't aware of that. I will, I will definitely check that out. Um, really, really interesting area, isn't it? Um, and uh, well, this is what will happen next because I think what Billy Kemba was saying is, look, this thing will happen again, and is the pharmaceutical industry better placed to deal with it next time? Probably not. Um, it it kind of comes down to us as the taxpayers in the end. So yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Um, now nearly finished, but before we go, Neil, let's come back to you very quickly uh, because you like to say something about the Independent Pharmacy Award. So over to you, Neil. Yeah, so we've um, we've absolutely we've got the uh, Independent Pharmacy Awards, uh, which obviously we're recording it today, Thursday. Uh, it's uh, as things currently stand, it's tomorrow. But uh, obviously, for our listeners, uh, it's already happened, and there's no harm in mentioning um, the winners. Um, so, yeah, a fantastic event at the House of Commons. In my view, just before I announce them, they're all winners. Everybody who entered uh, to do some fantastic work for local communities. Uh, we all know how important uh, independent pharmacists are. But uh, there can only be one winner in these awards. And uh, Shoba Sharma Kandil at Woolwich Late Night Pharmacy uh, was the Innovation Award winner. Um, Hardik Desai at Ticehurst Pharmacy in East Sussex was the, won the Extra Mile Award. That was the first year that we'd, we'd uh, run that award. Fantastic work, Hardik. Uh, the Pharmacy Team of the Year was Gilbody Pharmacy in Nottinghamshire. Um, amazing, uh, amazing stuff. Uh, best LPC, best supporting LPC was Kent LPC. And the Independent Pharmacist of the Year was John Paul Mackey, Mackey Pharmacy in Glasgow. So uh, a big congratulations to our winners. Um, as I say, in my eyes, they're all winners. But uh, it was a great event and uh, great stuff. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Great indeed. Congratulations to all the winners in the Independent Pharmacy Awards. Um, I, I, I've read their entries. Absolutely brilliant, all of them. Um, COVID has really 
really highlighted the the very best of community pharmacy. We saw it with the Recognition of Excellence Awards a couple of weeks ago for pharmacy assistance. It's um, a brilliant showpiece of, of of what the sector is capable of. And yeah, Neil, they were all wonderful winners in in your awards. Yeah, well done to them. Okay, that's it for another week then. Uh, my thanks to, to Neil and Rob. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts can be found on the Pharmacy Magazine website and from your usual podcast provider. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. We'll be back next week. But for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening. Mm-hmm.